Darnad, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it's great to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have just been blowing up. Uh, correct me by any of these numbers, by the way. 34 million social media followers, 14 billion views. I'm sure we're talking about 20 billion views in the next month or so when uh, people are watching this a few months down the road. But is that, are those, despite how crazy those numbers are, is that is that right on the dot? Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> I know it's oh hard to God. believe sometimes, but across all my social platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok being the main ones. Yeah, that's right. It's crazy. I mean, and, and just to, to see the amount of growth, I think you're the fastest growing uh, content creator right now online in terms of the views that you're getting. Uh, and for you to have just come out, seems like in the middle of in, you know, middle of nowhere. Obviously, you've got an, such an amazing, inspiring story that we want to share. But um, I know that you were also on Instagram and all of these social media platforms beforehand, before you were sharing all the inspiring content that you're sharing now. And while I didn't know about that before, I certainly understand that you had this for lack of a better word, like this Dan Bilzerian lifestyle <laughs> where, you know, you, you were certainly, uh, it was a different mindset, right? Different point of your life. And I want to really give the audience, uh, you know, a perspective of kind of what your mindset was at that time. And what are some of the things that you were going through and in terms of your, your personal life, your professional life and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much. So, uh, you know, I started my journey off like growing up in a small business household with traditional Indian parents, um, who I would say is probably a similar upbringing to a lot of Asian households or a lot right. of immigrant households. Hard work and education is everything. You know, if you don't graduate, you're not going to get married and you're going to be a failure. And all these, you know, heavy expectations were ingrained on me like pretty early on. Um, so I always knew that I had to be successful. Successful. You know, it wasn't a choice. Uh, I had to achieve success somehow. So I kind of grew up in this business environment and watched like my parents be able to succeed from coming to this country with pretty much no money uh, and just through hustle and grit, not even knowing the English language very well. You know, they were able to succeed. Um, so that inspired me to want to work hard. Uh, from a very early age. So I always started different businesses uh, and I did like pretty well for myself. You know, I've, um, I would say like I was probably always making more income than most people by the time, like my age, by the time I was 21 years old, I had like three houses. I had a Lamborghini. I hadn't even graduated from college at that time. I was still studying economics at UC Davis. Um, so I was always just like in a rush and chasing success fast. And I kind of did that with Instagram. <laughs> Similarly, uh, you know, I was living like this fast life where I thought you kind of had to show, you know, all this, like, what does it mean to be a man, right? Like you have to have like success and cars and parties and a certain lifestyle. So I moved to LA, I was living this fast life. I was promoting, uh, you know, this very, um, I, I would say desirable lifestyle for what a lot of young men are chasing and they think is happiness. And I kind of had to go through that entire experience, lose everything, go completely broke, mm. start my life all over at 30 years old to realize that that actually is not happiness. Yeah. Um, so kind of a crazy journey to be 
able to get to where I am today. Uh, but yeah, that was like my old Instagram identity. And then I've just basically changed a lot, starting with the person that I am. Uh, and I started having much better results in business and with entrepreneurship and relationships uh, that have led me to where I am today. What were your friends in college back in the day when you were still in college, still studying for your exams? What were they thinking when they saw that you were, I mean, the first probably instinct is like, oh, this guy must be a drug dealer or something, you know? <laughs> My business was actually well known in college. I was uh, running a mortgage company. And if you've ever seen the room, ever seen the movie Boiler Room, where you walk mm -hmm. in, there's all these people like on the phone, like trying to dial for dollars. Um, I was running essentially a boiler room, uh, a telemarketing operation where we were helping people refinance their homes. And because I went to UC Davis, which is like this small college town, a lot of people actually knew of the business and even worked for me. I had like about 50 employees or so. Um, yeah, when I was still in college. Um, so it was a known thing, but I was definitely... I had a certain image and reputation on campus that I loved, you know, and sure. I thought it was all part of this package as to who I needed to be. And that was happiness and such. So, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience doing that at a young age. But obviously I, I was spending money like even faster than I was making it. So it just wasn't sustainable. But at that time, it was more so what looks good in the moment. And you're not really thinking about the future when you're in your sure. 20s as much. At least I wasn't. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because you've all of a sudden, I don't know what you were like in, in high school, at least, but like, you know, for me growing up, I, I didn't have that level of attention. Not, not to say that I have it now, but certainly as you become more confident and more, more sure of yourself, you certain tend to certainly attract different types of people around. But for you, I imagine it must've been, uh, was it like a newer experience for you to have that level of attention? And, uh, I'm sure like girls were flying over you. Was that like a new experience for you? I was the biggest nerd in high school and there wasn't a single girl that wanted to date me up, and up until like my 20s. So yeah, it was a cool experience, like getting all this attention, you know? And I think like as old, being older now and kind of realizing, you know, looking back at my life and kind of realizing like what I was chasing, I was the only Indian kid in my high school and I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like people wanted to be friends with me. I wasn't part of the cool group at all. You know, during lunch, my biggest struggle was like finding friends to even eat with me uh, and that I could sit with. Um, so I remember just wanting to feel like some sort of acceptance and validation for the longest time. And also since my parents weren't, weren't around since they were building their business, um, you know, I just kind of, they, they wouldn't spend time with me, but they would be able to give me money for things. So I always just kind of assume like I tied money to love and this like weird connection that I had made. So to me, I thought, all right, in order to have friends, in order to be accepted, you know, amongst, um, you know, these popular kids or whatever, I have to go out and be extremely successful. And then when I'm successful and I have money, people will want to be friends with me. So I know that sounds like kind of silly looking back, but yeah, that's the people that I kind of surrounded myself with. Um, and that was sort of my MO at that time. Interesting. Interesting. And did you get the sense that when you started to make money that, this, there was this shift of people being attracted to you because you were making money. They, they have certain expectations in terms of you needing to pay for things and stuff. Was that a common thing that you, maybe you didn't notice at that time because you were getting all this love, but looking back, was that kind of a similar pattern that you saw? 
Yeah, I mean, I had no shortage of friends, especially when I moved to LA and I was going out all the time. I mean, every sing, you know, every single day almost there was people over at my house. A lot of these were new relationships, but they were all there for the good times. And I don't blame anybody else. I only blame myself, which is all part of the new two point dar two thinking. You know, I take responsibility for every single thing that happens in my life, both good and bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you. Um, you reap what you sow, right? Like you surround yourself with like-minded people. And so I had, I was surrounded by people that were there for the good times that were there for the highs and because I was paying for everything. And so as soon as that goes away, as soon as you kind of stop going out or stop, stop paying for everything, um, you know, those, those relationships very quickly disappear because that's what they were built on in the first place. Gotcha. Gotcha. So is, is that something that you've noticed? Like did did you have like a group of friends one day and then as soon as you started not paying for things, they just kind of left, left your circle. There was a point in time and this was like right when I got to about 30 years old where I found myself pretty much all alone. Um, so when I moved to LA, I rarely, you, you would rarely see me at any point with less than like 10 people. I had people around me all the time. It was like an entourage. Um, and I remember, you know, very vividly just how painful it was seeing one by one, everybody disappear, like people that I thought were close to me, people that I thought like were have would have my back. As soon as my money ran out, as soon as I stopped going out, yeah, they were very quick to disappear. But again, I don't blame them. I blame me because I was seeking that. Had sure. I looked to build real authentic relationships with people that cared about me for me, I think it would have been a different story. Right. So for people that don't know your full story in terms of the craziest of highs that you've went to and then the lowest of lows and then getting back up, you know, let's go back into that highest of highs when you felt that you were on top of the world. Uh, I know you had this feeling that you had to constantly level up your your social media presence and how you looked in terms of other people. What was around? What was what was the thinking behind that when you were going through that experience? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, you know, I was making pretty decent money just running different businesses, but again, nowhere near the rate in which I was spending it. Um, and I had one of these like flashy influencer pages on Instagram. I think I was, I had a million followers on Instagram like five, six years ago before a lot of well-known people wow. have hit a million That's followers. A now a million followers, yeah, is kind of a, you know, a lot of people have a million plus followers, but at that time it was pretty special. Uh, and you know, back then, um, my whole mentality was just how can I put on, you know, this, this big show and really, really prove to people that I'm like this big successful entrepreneur. Uh, so that included having everything that that image entails. You know, I had a four story house in the Hollywood Hills at my peak. I had nine exotic cars in my garages. Oh my uh, you know, we we're going out five nights a week. Um, you know, I had a very active like social life. I was building this super active following uh, and everything, you know, was very flashy. <laughs> if you came to my page, it was all cars and watches and bottle service and all these flashy things. Um, so, you know, that was probably the peak of my uh, Internet fame. Uh, I was yeah, th like right when I had turned 30 years old, but it all relied like people were there 
following me because of this crazy flashy lifestyle that I had. Um, and you know, I, like I mentioned, I was spending money faster than I was actually bringing it in at that time. My thinking was, Oh, I'll figure out some business opportunity that connects. And, you know, because I've got this big following, I'm sure it'll monetize later, but that monetization never came. I think people mm. thought I had so much money that I wasn't looking for opportunities and Instagram wasn't like the same where all these brands were trying to market there five, six years ago. Um, so before that could happen, I ended up running out of money and, uh, you know, it happened like very publicly because I couldn't sustain that lifestyle. So right. it's something that's very difficult where the whole world is watching you and has this in anticipation of the person that you are, but inside you're kind of dying inside because you know that the lifestyle you're living is not sustainable. And so as soon as I got to the point where I could no longer, you know, spend money or maintain that lifestyle, I pretty much went dark on the internet for about five years and didn't post anything at all. Um, so yeah, it was a crazy, like, high low experience uh, but it definitely taught me the lessons that i needed to learn in order to get to where i am today and become the man that i am today so yeah i can't look at it as like something i regret but something i needed to go through in order to get to where i am today sure yeah and that's 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 really deep right there i mean and the cars and the and the house that you're you had was that for the purpose like in your mind was that the purpose of getting those exotic things so that you can eventually post that on social media? Yeah, that that's pretty much what drove most of what I was doing. It was all how to create this image of this alter ego that, you know, I wanted everybody to see. Uh, but I enjoy having nice things. And, you know, even now um, that I'm doing like, you know, well, and I'm in this self-help industry where I create inspirational content, that doesn't stop me from having nice things. Mm -hmm. You know, I still love to have nice things. So there's nothing wrong with it. I think it just depends on what your intention is. And my intention at that time was more so to try to impress other people to get them to like me, which is obviously not the way that you want to go. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's especially uh, I imagine in, in the pressure that you had of constantly needing to level up your content when it wasn't a sustainable uh, process for you financially. So it, it just must have been such a stressful experience looking back. Yeah, no one wants to stay in the same place, right? You always want to show that you're doing bigger and better things, whatever it is, you know, in life. And so whether today it was like, oh, I bought a Mercedes, tomorrow it'd have to be a Ferrari. Whether today it's like, I have this three-story house in Hollywood Hills, tomorrow it has to be a five-story house. Like, it was just this constant, never-ending, you know, insatiable need to try to impress. Um, so... Yeah, um, you know, I'm glad that I got through that stage and I'm at a much better stage now. Yeah, and what were the businesses that you were running at this time to at least be able to afford some of these exotic things? I mean, most people can't even afford that, you know, in their 40s, <laughs> but you were still able to have that level of hustle and that drive to be able to run some of these businesses. So can you tell us about what some of these businesses were and, uh, you know, what were your... What were your um, motivations behind it, I guess, ultimately? 
Yeah, in my early days, you know, as an entrepreneur, my main motivation was more so making money rather than the mission, right? It was like profits over purpose. How can I make as much money as quickly as possible? Um, so I didn't have like the right intentions going into any business that I was starting. I would give up too soon. I wasn't focused. I was trying to do too many things. So I had a limousine company, like a limousine rental company, an exotic car rental company. I had a property management company. I was doing construction for a while. Uh, I was in franchising. I was like in five or six different Damn. businesses, Crazy. you know, trying to do whatever I could that could just sustain this lifestyle. Uh, but, you know, over time, I came to realize that less is more. And like, I, I learned the value of focus and sticking to one thing long term. And those were two skills that really helped me succeed later in life. Uh, that with switching my thinking, you know, going to becoming a mission based and purposeful entrepreneur. Ironically, I actually made more money you know, pursuing a mission. So yeah, I just had my priorities backwards. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, again, I think that's just part of the early stages um, that, it, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs go through that they have to learn uh, what works for them. Yeah. And were you running all of these businesses at the same time, the luxury car business, the the mortgage business? I mean, one of them already is enough to be able to be a full time job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I didn't know. Like, I just thought that in order to succeed in business, you have to have like five different businesses. I didn't understand the fact that I could take one business and make it massively successful if I really put a lot of time and energy into it. Um, and yeah, so, you know, there's this quote by Confucius that I often reference that says the, the man who cr chases two rabbits catches neither. Um, and I was chasing five different rabbits at that time. Um, and then, yeah, I, I started making some bad investments, you know, that didn't produce like a good return. So just overall, I wasn't, um, I wasn't doing things the right way that, um, I ultimately needed to change in order to start getting better results. By the way, what you just said is such a good lesson for so many entrepreneurs that think they need. 50,000 different side hustles that are making like a thousand each to be able to be what they're doing. Uh, I mean, so looking back, it seems like the biggest lesson for you was not to spread yourself too thin. Is that, was that kind of the big takeaway for you as if you were to start a, a new business or advise a younger entrepreneur coming up in the game? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, the three things that have helped me the most uh, is focus on one thing. Don't try to do five things. Um, you know, Steve Jobs said that he was more proud of the opportunities at Apple that he did not pursue than the ones that he pursued. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have so many opportunities and ways of making money coming to you every single day. But the biggest challenge is, how do you figure out, you know, the ones to say no to versus the one to say yes to? Um, and it was very easy for me to get excited and then lose focus and switch to something new. So I'd say first is focus on one thing and really become a master of it. Um, and number two is that really helped me is think long term. Because in the beginning, I was just thinking short term and anything could pull me in any direction. Uh, but once I actually started thinking long term, like where can I take this in five years, 10 years, 15 years, that's when I was able to actually do the necessary work in order to build the business in the right way to make it succeed long term. 
Uh, and the number three is, which I think like every entrepreneur needs to hear is don't give up. You know, like mm. there will be so many times where you question what you're doing or you're running into challenges. I was the guy that anytime things got hard, Oh, forget it. I was on to the next business. This is too hard. This is too complicated. I'm going to go find something easy. Every business is hard. Every relationship is hard. Life is hard, right? Like it's more so about can you overcome those difficult times in order for you to get to where you need to go? If, you know, you're going to be trying to do 10 different things, if you're thinking like short term, if you're not in it for the long run, um, and willing to overcome all the challenges, you know, that come at you, then you'll never be able to be successful in any business. Yeah, dude, this is such a powerful lesson. And I think what's more powerful is that you've lived through these experiences and you've lived another day, came back, and you now have these lessons that you can share from your own personal experiences. So we're going to get back into the comeback story from <laughs> the, you know, from the lowest of lows that you've had. And more importantly, the identity shift that you, you must have had, Pete, to be able to go from where you were to where you had to go now. So talk to us a little bit about this shift that you had, that you had to make internally, the self-talk that you had to talk to give yourself. What was that really like at this lowest of lows, at the starkest moments that you had in your life? Yeah, I had been going through so many uh, highs and lows throughout my life, um, you know, successes and failures. Uh, and then I think my biggest low is when I remember celebrating my 30th birthday and I was at a bar ordering drinks and I couldn't even afford the bar tap. I couldn't even pay for the drinks to celebrate my own birthday. And at 30 years old, you know, especially um, coming from a culture that places so much pressure on, you know, young men to be successful, um, I was very embarrassed. I thought I was going to have to move in with my parents. I was starting all over. I was going through public embarrassment, you know, from having, from being this baller on Instagram to being totally off the grid and MIA. I was going through a difficult breakup. I had legal problems. I had family problems. I just had this dark cloud over my head where I felt like everything was wrong. And the messed up part was that wasn't the first time in my life that had been there, you know? So that was the first time that I actually stopped everything and said, I'm no longer going to blame all these other people for why I'm experiencing failure and hardship in my life. The only person that I'm going to look to is the person in the mirror, myself. Uh, and at that time, I became really reflective because I had this pattern of like succeeding, failing, and then I would just kind of latch on to some new opportunity or try something new and get excited, make some money from that. Um, and then very quickly just go into those old patterns and nothing would change. Right. Sure. But the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. And I got to a point where I was like, I'm insane. You know, like <laughs> if I'm going to keep doing this, like this is literally insane. I need to stop everything. And that's why I need to get off the grid. I deactivated, you know, my Instagram account, even though I had like a million plus followers at that time. Like I need to really reflect on my inner circle and who I'm spending all my time with. Uh, and then I just need to invest in my own mind. So I started reading a lot. I started meditating a lot. It's one of the most difficult things when it feels like there's this massive storm happening in your life. How are you supposed to like just meditate quietly, like in a corner, like there's a freaking storm going on, you know, but 
it takes so much discipline and practice to be able to really master your mind. Um, and I always thought, I always say now that like, I, I realize success, external success, we're all chasing external success, right? Money, cars, house, the body we want, the relationship we want, like these are all ex external things, but it starts internally. It starts with the thoughts that are inside of your brain. That's what enables you to go out and chase all these things, right? If, if my goal is fitness, it starts with, am I gonna be disciplined enough to go through my workouts or do my running or you know eat the good food or whatnot? And success starts that way. So for me, it was being able to you know read a lot of books, being able to meditate, being able to surround myself with like-minded people. I went from nine exotic cars to no car. I didn't wow. have a single car. You sold I went all from, of them? I sold all of them. I went from a four-story Hollywood Hills mansion to living, uh, to sleeping on a couch in a 350 square foot apartment that I shared with a roommate where I was building out my business. So it was like a complete 180 of my life change. It was a shocking experience, but the weird thing was, is like, I needed to go through that, you know? I had to lose everything to gain everything, to finally get like the right perspective. And even though I was starting all over, you know, with, I, I had $600 in my checkings account at that time that I used to start my first business. But in reality, I was so much in debt. I owed friends money, I owed family money, I owed creditors money, you know? Um, so I was so in the hole, but yeah, the weirdest thing is like, I felt richer than I had ever felt in so many ways because I was learning these valuable lessons finally. And, um, you know, I met the right girl in my life, um, Laura, who, you know, currently is like the mother of my daughter and also my soon to be second daughter, which I'm super excited congrats, about. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. And she came into my life during my down, you know, and, and I've realized that people that come into your life during your down are some of the most important relationships that you have. And she taught, she wasn't there for me for my money or, you know, because of like the lifestyle I was living. Cause I didn't have money. I wasn't living mm -hmm. a good life, like a crazy lifestyle. You know, I was sharing a 350 square foot apartment with this roommate. Uh, but she stuck by my side and she believed in me and taught me like, you know, good principles like saving money and making smart decisions. And so I just stayed like really focused on trying to become the person that I needed to become. And I would say that's the biggest factor in success. And it's not an overnight thing because change takes time. And a lot of people, I think, rush that process. You know, half the people when they go through something like a bad situation, I would say more than half people, they don't blame themselves and see any sort of opportunity for change that they could have done, you know, mm. so they miss any sort of learning opportunity simply because they never even saw anything that they were doing wrong. The other half of people, they think that, okay, they learned some lesson and change is just going to happen overnight. Um, all of a sudden, you know, they're going to become this new person and then you can get us, you know, life is on this new track three months later. It takes years. Change takes years in order to implement. And I gave myself the necessary time. I stayed off of social media, yep. you know, for a number of years until I got back to a place where I was super confident and felt like I had actually implemented all the changes that I want to make. Um, and that really helped my life out. Sure. Yeah. And in some ways, like these darkest moments that you had was in, in fact, a blessing. I think that I, 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 Knowing a lot of successful people, I know that a lot of them are actually very cautious in terms of 
being able to question, you know, even partners or people in their lives to really understand like what the motivation is, is because a lot of them they've met at the top of their heights as they've been rising up. So with with your partner and the people that you met at the lowest of lows, you know that there is no second motives or anything like that. There is the loyalty from from the ground up. And in, in some ways, it is that blessing because you don't have to ever question that level of loyalty, I imagine, and, and, and the faith that other people have in you. Um, going back to the kind of the, the darker moments that you had, I think this will help a lot of people out. You mentioned that you're reading a lot of books. Was there any particular books that stood out to you that really sparked this moment or inspiration that gave you a little bit of hope that people can benefit from for other people that are also going through these times? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many good books. I mean, you know, I read a statistic that like the average CEO reads over, I believe it was like 50, if not 100 books a year. Um, whereas the average person reads less than one book a year. And for those that do read books, it's a romance novel, right? So I think reading and success are highly correlated. Just most people aren't willing to do the work. Uh, But there are fantastic books. Like how I look at it is, if you could read the writing on the wall from the most successful people in the world that are telling you how to do it, why would you not? And pretty much now, every successful person has come out with a book. So, you know, for me, I really like great stories. Um, Stories inspire me. There's so many books out there that say, hey, here's the five things that you need to do. But I'm more so the type of person that learns from, here's my story, here's how I did it, and here's the highs and lows I went through. And Phil Knight's uh, Shoe Dog, I think, is a great book for that. Um, So he, Phil, uh, Phil Knight is the founder of Nike, and he just talks about all of his highs and lows that he went through in order to succeed. Um, And then if you are more so like wanting like specific instructions and a roadmap, uh, two other books that I highly recommend quite often um, are Grit by Angela Duckworth um, and The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins. Um, But yeah, I've got hundreds of books in my Audible. I I listen to audiobooks (laughs) as I run. I always try to multitask, like double my productivity. So it's a great time to just be in the zone to absorb all this great info. Um, So yeah, I try to stay, um, yeah, there's hundreds of books that I could recommend, but those are probably the three that stand out. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Maximizing your dead time, right? Not when you're not really doing anything. Audible books are so, so powerful for just being able to get that extra bit of knowledge that you wouldn't have, you know, other people would have just been checking Instagram or Facebook or something like that, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, just to piggyback on that. um, So Shoe Dog just talks about the highs and lows that Nike had. And it's crazy story. Like to think about some of the most iconic brands that, you know, were so close to being on the brink of failure before succeeding. And it's inspiring to to hear all those moments and know where they got to today. Um, And then Grit just talks a lot about how hard like no one starts off as a master at anything. It really just takes hard work and hustle to become the best in your field and everybody's journey is the same. And the five second rule is how not to let your brain trick you into giving up too soon or making bad decisions is how to actually overcome the negative thoughts in your head to be able to take positive action. Um, so that's why those books have been so effective. But if you can once again master how your brain works and just kind of knowing like why am I falling into these bad patterns? Like why am I 
over and over going through failure or heartbreak or bad eating or depressed, like whatever is making you sad, start by analyzing your brain and see what's making you go there and books can help you. That way you can kind of break that pattern to build something new. Love it. Love it. And just to add one to the list for me personally, the one that really has helped uh, as a biography by Richard Branson, who's the chairman of Virgin. I think the book is called Losing My Virginity and just the stories that he shares about him sitting on his stairwell because he had, I think, five million in debt that the bank was trying to chase him down on and they arrived at his door and just the amount of passion that he actually kicked them out uh, because of how angry he was at that time and just the level of passion that this guy had to build his business. It's, it's such a inspiring story that I also recommend. Um, now, when you were also, um, you know, going dead in, in terms of social media and trying to focus down uh, in terms of building this new life for yourself in this new chapter, what are some of the mental shifts that you had to make to uh, to kind of shift this identity that you had? Was there anything that you really had to uncover and dig deep down into changing your mental or identity shift in some ways? Yeah, I mean, I think it ties back to just every time I was in any sort of negative outcome in life, I just always saw myself as the victim of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when my franchising business didn't work out, I blamed the industry. Um, when you know I ran into legal problems, I blamed everybody else. When my friends left, I you know I, bra- I blame my friends. I was just constantly in this pattern of not taking responsibility for where my life was. Um, And I would say that was the biggest shift to happen where I just said, from this moment onward, any single thing that happens to me, regardless if I felt like I was directly, you know, connected to the bad out, like the bad thing that happened or not, I was going to take responsibility for it. Mm. And I'm pretty extreme in that regard. Like even if I'm at a traffic light and somebody was to rear end me, I would say it was my fault. Like if you just get in the habit of seeing yourself as the cause of all the things negative in your life, then you can start to see yourself as the solution. But if you never see yourself as the problem, then how are you ever going to fix it? You can't change others, but you can always change yourself, right? So I think starting with that solution, just saying that like my life is the way that it is. I am where I am today as a direct consequence for all the decisions that I've made up until here. And that's hard to do. Yeah, It's hard not to say, oh, yeah, you know, it was my fault. But if it wasn't for that person that screwed me over or if it wasn't for that boss or, you know, that that opportunity not working out, then I wouldn't have been here. But fine, I'll take responsibility. No, you got to let go of everything that, you know, your, your entire victim story, anyone else that you're blaming for why you are not where you want to be in your life. You got to let that go and just look at yourself for the cause and effect for why you are where you are today. I would say that was a major change. And then that kind of helped stimulate, you know, all the other changes that I needed to make, which was being laser focused, keep going and overcoming adversity whenever I faced it, thinking long-term, being more mission-based, caring more about the impact 
you know, versus the revenue, like all of the, like sticking to one thing long enough to see it out. Like all of these lessons kind of came from that, but it all started with taking responsibility for where I am in my life. That's powerful. So that's this foundation that you have of not blaming others, taking full responsibility. And it seems like what's interesting with what you said is it's not even the bigger things that have happened or the bigger decisions that may not have panned out or panned out. You're talking about the smaller things. Like, is it, does it go as far as like, if you were driving and someone rear-ended you, you had no responsibility technically for that from like a, from the situational perspective, right? If someone wants to look at it from a third-party perspective, but you would go as far as taking some sort of control and responsibility over that situation, Exactly. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Either I'm helpless and I'm not in control. I'm in the passenger seat and life is happening to me or I'm in the driver's seat. I'm in control of everything and life is happening for me. And there's just such a power in knowing that you're in the driver's seat and control everything. That's when you get your power. So, yeah, I know it sounds extreme sometimes to say, like, how could you literally blame yourself? You know, and there's crazy things happening in the world right now. Right. And I'm yeah. sure a lot of people are just like, well, it's not my fault that how, how, how can you say that? How can this be my fault? when there's major society issues that I have no control over, right? But I guess the challenge is, is like, yeah, you can stay in that thinking. You can stay that you're right. Okay, fine, you're right, right? What did you gain out of that? What did you change? Like what, how did your life get any better? But from the yeah. moment you start saying like, all right, fine, maybe I'm not in the most ideal situation. Maybe I wasn't born with a golden spoon in my mouth. Maybe I've had all these bad things happen to me. But you know what? I still have control over the outcome of my life uh, and all the things that happen to me. You have so much more power over all the outcomes. So yeah, it's something that like I obsessively follow. Um, and you know, I, I read, um, this book called principles by Ray Dalio. He's one of the richest people in the world, super intelligent guy. Um, and he built this incredible hedge fund Bridgestone. And he talks about, uh, about how good leaders, um, overcome problems, right? But the best leaders chase problems. They mm. actually go looking for them. And he, he looks at it as if you're playing a game, every time you find something wrong, you're collecting a gem. You're getting a point. He gets excited mm -hmm. by things going wrong. And mm. like, that's the place that I always try to aspire to get to, you know, where I'm just always looking for problems now because I see that as one opportunity to correct it. And that problem always starts with something that I can fix. Yeah. That's my and perspective it, going into it. And it's such a powerful, that the mental shift, those small mental shifts, and I'm sure people have had certain mental shifts in their lives that they can look back on that have fundamentally changed the career path that they may have or personal path they may have. And I think what you, just to piggyback on what you said before, is to, to go as extreme as taking responsibility for someone that may have rear-ended you, that you may have no, no responsibility yeah. for, you know, from a third-party perspective, but it's that level of mental shift that you have to make to be able to change the way you think. You know, one example is, you know, Peter Thiel, who co-founded PayPal, who was the first investor of Facebook talks about this question that you have to ask, which is like to go from 10% thinking, which is probably how 99% of the world thinks to go into 10x thinking, 
you have to ask certain questions about how you want to be able to make decisions. And one of the questions that he asked is, if you were to try to achieve your 10-year goal in six months, what are some of the things that you have to do? Or what's the one thing that you would have to decide on? And it doesn't even matter what the right answer is in his eyes. In his eyes, it's to really get yourself out of that mindset of to go from 10% thinking. Oftentimes, you have to do something completely different than what you're doing now. And it's that level of perspective shift mm-hmm. that I think you're talking about in terms, of, in terms of helping people really take more control over their lives. Yeah, you know, and especially now, like during COVID, I think more people than ever feel just helpless over the situation, right? And, you know, I was looking at um, this post on Facebook and, you know, someone that I know posted something saying, all right, they had all these fitness goals, you know, for this year, but because of COVID, now they're stuck at home, gyms are closed, they're just going to eat whatever they want, and they put on what, I think there's a term going around called the COVID-15 or something, (laughs) like Like everyone being like 15 pounds. (laughs) I lost 15 pounds, you know, because Mm -hmm. I didn't sit here looking at it as everything is out the window because of COVID, and I have no control over that. Like, that made me actually adapt to a home gym. That made me start running on my own. That made me start dieting more and getting more disciplined, right? So it, you can easily just kind of give into the perspective that, hey, I'm helpless here, so I'm just gonna fold my cards and kind of acquiesce or give in, or I'm gonna beat my environment, right? I'm gonna take ownership for that and still achieve this, the, my goals or whatever outcome that I'm trying to, despite these setbacks that may or may not even be in my control. Yeah, yeah. They they say that the best entrepreneurs of today and the future are not necessarily the smartest ones, but they're the most adaptable to situations and the new technologies and the tools that are going to be appearing for us to leverage. So I think that's such a powerful message that you said. Now, going back to the story now of how you came back from the the darkest moments of going offline and really trying to adjust your situation, but more importantly, your, your mental shift. What were the opportunities that you were able to to seize to be able to come back into the you know the, the inspiring millions of people as you are doing today? Yeah, definitely. So um, you know, when I was thirty with six hundred dollars in my checkings account, I think my rent at that time was like it was less than a th- it was like nine hundred dollars a month or something like that, <laughs> and um, I didn't have enough money to pay my rent. So there was a point in my time. This was you know back in two thousand sixteen, two thousand yeah fifteen. There was a point in my in my life pretty recently that I didn't think I was going to pay my rent. I was on the verge of moving in. I did move in with my parents for a a very, very short time. My dad drove all the way from NorCal, put all my stuff inside of his van, moved me back home, and I lived with my parents for like a short amount of time, actually. By the way, Uh, just to to slide in here, people think, most people, the idea of moving in with their parents is very different (laughs) than an Asian or an Indian conservative parent. you know, accepting you into their house. Completely different story, right? At 30 years old too, you know, it's just, <laughs> yes, it's not, yeah. my life was not where I wanted it to be to say the least. Sure. I had all this mounting pressure on me and just felt like a total embarrassment, you know, like I didn't want anyone to see my face. Um, and at that time I was just desperate. Like my only goal at that time was like, how can I pay rent? 
Um, and they say like, you know, uh, mother is the, what is necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So I happened to be at a lunch, um, with a couple of friends. I had about a couple weeks left for me to pay rent before, uh, all was lost. Um, and I was having a conversation with this girl who is a beauty influencer. She's a makeup artist. She's traveling all over the world, teaching these makeup seminars and they were selling out. Um, and I was shocked and I was like, well, if, you know, people are wanting to take your classes all over the world, have you thought about taking that model and doing it online versus you having to travel everywhere? And she's like, oh, I would love to, but I have no idea how to do that. And so I blurted out, I know how to do it. (laughs) I had no clue at all, right? Going back to necessity being the mother of all invention. I'd never built an e-commerce website. I'd never built an online learning platform. I had never, uh, I knew nothing about makeup, right? I just knew that I had to pay rent. And Mm. so I said that I could do it. And for whatever reason, she believed in me. Um, she said yes. And then we partnered to create an online makeup school. I took the last $600 I had in my bank. I spent $200 on some softbox lights, uh, from Best Buy with a little webcam setup. Uh, and then the remaining 400 bucks, I put an ad on Craigslist and said, look, I only have, I I said, I have $800 to build a website, but I can only give you 400 now. (laughs) And I was like, other 400, if this works out. And like, you know, I got hundreds of responses. Every single one of them told me like, I was crazy. There's no way that anyone could ever build a website that cheap. But then I had one person that said, you know what? Fine. I'll, I believe in, you know, I believe in you. I'll go ahead and build it. So I had the website built for 400 bucks. Um, and then a couple weeks later, right before my rent was due, we launched, um, and you know, because she had a big social media following from her very first post, I think like we did about $250,000, like our first week in business or something. And that was a life changer for me, you know, uh, because I was so broke, had no idea how I was going to put food on the table, keep a roof over my head. Um, and what's crazy is like, as that company started expanding and doing well, I started working with more makeup artists. I started, you know, launching more online courses. I still lived in that studio apartment, you know, Mm -hmm. for a long time, uh, because I refused to go back to that old lifestyle. So I continued being super focused, keeping my head down, not spending a lot of money, working towards this new person that I wanted to become. Um, and then ultimately one of, um, the, one of the beauty influencers I ended up connecting with while doing these online classes ended up being my now fiance, Laura, uh, who ended up uh, joining me to build out this company live glam. And then we got into making our own makeup products, partnering with other popular brands, starting a beauty box subscription, um, it just became more and more successful with her involved. Uh, but it was more so, it had a lot to do with me learning all the lessons that I needed to learn during my failures and applying them to this new path in life that helped that succeed. Now, I imagine it must have been super tempting from going into the darkest moments all of a sudden to making hundreds of thousands of dollars. How did you build in the systems or the infrastructure? that allowed you to resist those temptations? Is that just a commitment you decided to make even before this success that you had? Talk to us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I was at the point in my life where I was finally mature enough to remain committed to whatever goals that I had set, even those these internal goals. I wrote them down. I had an accountability partner, Laura, my fiance, where every single week I would talk to her about my goals. Um, and, you know, again, goals don't always have to be external. It doesn't have to be have this much money in my bank accounts or, you know, run five miles or do whatever. It was internal. It was be more patient, um, you know, think long term, things that might be a little bit harder to score yourself on. But I held myself accountable on a weekly basis. I had, you know, Laura to help me stay accountable. Uh, and I kept reading. I kept meditating. I kept exercising. I kept doing all the good habits that helped get me successful in the first place. Um, so I think I was just finally at the stage in my life where I was truly ready to make that shift. Whereas the past times in my 20s and my late teens, every time I experienced some level of success, it just took me back to the same person that I used to be. But I think I gave myself enough time and was really committed to being this new person that helped me. Um, and then in terms of being able to build out that infrastructure, um, you know, to be able to support like a growing business, um, you know, how I look at it as this is more so me putting my CEO hat on now, uh, you know, it's like the two P's. That's how I call it within our organization, people and process. Uh, you got to have the right people um, to help build up the company and make it successful. And you also have to have the right processes in place, because if you have no good processes with great people, things will fall apart. Um, so making sure that all those people are working together effectively, that's the infrastructure that I think ultimately helped propelled um, the multiple businesses that I have now to success. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the, the a difficult thing for a lot of entrepreneurs, even successful entrepreneurs, always have to struggle with is whether to persevere or whether to move on to that next idea. And sometimes there is no right answer, right? Sometimes like you yeah. could have one answer that could be completely the right decision, whereas some other could be the wrong decision. So how have you, how have you learned starting all of these multiple businesses you know, I know the, the live glam was, it was an instant success, but, uh, from what I understand is when you started creating content, that wasn't an initial blowout success that you had with some of the other businesses that you had. So how did you, what are some of the frameworks that you've had to adopt to really decide whether it's to persevere, to shift your idea? That's an amazing question, actually. It's such a good question. Um, you know, I would say if it's something that you can't go a day without thinking about, then don't give up. Like if you've truly found your purpose and your calling and you know that this is your purpose and your calling, don't give up. Um, you know, I always say um, the advice that I give, like in relationships, in business, you know, with your fitness or whatever, is don't give up. You keep going. But yeah, there is a point where if you're doing something that is not connecting, you're not super passionate about it, you know, you've tried for a good enough time to see it through and it still doesn't work, then I would say at that stage, it's okay to give up and try something else. 
Uh, but if you have, if, if this is what you were meant to do and you know in your heart, like when you go to bed at night, this is the last thing you think of. When you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you think of, not because of the money you can make, but because of the purpose and the passion and the impact, then I would say, don't give up on something that you can't go a day without thinking about. And ironically, you know, just to kind of bring it full circle, uh, in 2008, 2009 is when like the first real estate recession hit, right? Um, so it was a total meltdown. A lot of mortgage companies, banks went out of business. Um, and so at that time, I was also doing real estate. That was one of my, you know, early failures. And of course, I blamed the market at that time and every everyone else but myself for why it failed. But my brother um, was also running a real estate brokerage. While everybody else closed down their shop, he refused to close. And I was like, bro, it's been years. You know, it hasn't picked back up. The market's not the same. It's time to let go. But real estate is what he was meant to do. That was what his passion is. He stayed committed and did not close his brokerage. And now, 10 years later, he is busier than he's ever been before. And yeah, it took a long time to get there when a lot of people gave up and did something else. But because he was so passionate about it, he never gave up. And now his brokerage is killing it. He has more deals than, he's, than he even had back in the 2007 highs before the crash happened. Um, and obviously, he's super happy because he never gave up on his goal. So, you know, to some people, they might look at that and be like, that's crazy. Why would you wait 10 years of something not working? But to others, if you are meant to do something and that's what you're meant to do, then that's a short price to pay for a lifetime of happiness and, yeah. and grat gratification. And in many ways, your own content creation story from shifting from live glamming to inspiring people on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, that was also this decision that you had to make mentally, right? Talk to us a little bit about kind of the earlier um, struggles, I guess, of breaking out into the competitive world of, 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 the, of the content out there. And what are some of the self-talk that you had to do to really persevere yeah, that's a great that's a great point. So with LiveLam, I was very fortunate, you know, through some brand partnerships and influencer partnerships and having a great product, you know, we were able to scale that company uh, pretty quickly and it was profitable since day one. But when it came to my content creation, it wasn't necessarily the same story. It was a slow start. When I first started creating videos on Facebook, first of all, every single person told me, oh, there's already so many content creators, right? Like what's going to make your content any different? You really think that you're going to be as big as Tony Robbins? You really think that you're going to be as big as this person or that person? And it was just constant discouragement like all around me. But either way, I knew that trying to help others and trying to inspire people through my content was something I was super passionate about because I was a guy who was helped by inspirational content. I saw firsthand the impact that it had on my life and how it was helped me to get my life, you know, from zero to where it is now. So I was like, I want to be that force in other people's life. And I was super committed to that vision. So I started putting out videos 
Um, and in the beginning, it was just me talking in front of a camera like I am now. Um, and I still remember that on my very first videos, May 29th, 2018, um, I, I probably recorded my first video. It took me like a hundred different takes of me being in front of a camera and being like, hey guys, it's Dar, and like, what if this, what if that? It was a, funny, ironically enough, it was a video about not giving up. That's what the message was. And I wanted to give up so many times when creating oh, a video about I, not I'm giving up. I'm with you there, yeah. But I didn't give up, I kept trying, I kept trying, and uh, eventually I put out this video on my birthday, and I was like, man, I put my heart and soul into this video, it's gonna go super viral, I'm gonna post it, it's gonna get millions of views. I posted it on my birthday, I refreshed, I refreshed, I refreshed, and nothing, that that video, I, I, I don't even think it broke a thousand views. Um, the people that watched it or shared it probably just felt bad because it was my birthday. Uh, but I kept at it, you know, I like one rule that I made from the very beginning is no matter what, I'm going to put out two videos a week. So first rule is consistency in content creation. What are the, what are the rules? Number one is consistency. Even in your hard days, even in the days that you don't want to show up, even in the days that you don't feel inspired and you're questioning yourself, you still have to show up. You still have to put in the work. And so it was always consistent. I was putting out two videos every single week. None of them were getting any traction. Um, so then the next thing is adjust your strategy. So I started doing new things. I started pivoting a little bit. Instead of me talking in front of cameras, I hired an illustrator uh, to make little cartoons mm. with me talking over the cartoons. Um, and that way I could paint a picture of the story I was trying to tell. So it was my narration and the animation playing. And I noticed that, you know, my videos were now breaking a thousand views when I would do that. It would be like one to 5,000 views, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then one day I was like, well, what if I was to actually put in like real actors? Um, and so I asked like my brother-in-law and I asked like some people that I knew um, to actually act out in my videos. And that way, instead of me talking about a lesson and preaching as to what somebody needs to learn, I would show it playing out with actors in a real environment. So when people tell you some good lesson, um, you know, it's one thing to hear somebody say it, but it's a whole nother thing to actually be able to see it play out. Uh, and once I adopted that strategy, that's when stuff started picking up for me. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, it still didn't take off. I was probably getting between five to 10,000 views. I was spending a lot of time on my content. And after probably months and months of doing this, I did get to a point where I asked Laura, my fiance, I said, what's the point of what I'm doing? I'm always work. I was up to like three, four o'clock in the morning. I was never available for her. I had no social life. I was stressed out. It was costing all this money. Wasn't bringing in any income. I wasn't getting very many views. And I was like, what's the point of all this? You know, I was feeling super discouraged. She'd always try to motivate me, but it got to a point where I was like, you know what? Like I do have to be practical and I really tried, but this just isn't working. So I'm going to schedule my last video to go live and then I'm gonna take a break from creating content. I'm no longer gonna do this for a while. And she just knew I was kind of done, so she said, okay. So I scheduled my last video to go live that following morning and I went to bed. This is in September 2018. I wake up that next morning by Laura screaming my name. She goes, Dar, Dar, wake up, wake up. And I'm like, what's up? She goes, that video you posted, it's going viral. And I was Whoa. like, what? I was like, no way. I was like half asleep. I opened Facebook. I look at this app 
And sure enough, within like an hour of posting it, it had like almost a million views. And then within that first day, it had like 10 million views and then 50 million within like a week. Um, so if anyone's wondering what having a viral video feels like, that's that feeling. I was on cloud nine, you know, and then there from there, I, I, it's not like every video went viral from there sure, on, sure. but I started getting better and better. And now that, you know, I'm 300 plus videos in, um, the likelihood of me having viral videos is almost, you know, almost guaranteed, uh, mm. because I've just gotten so good at it and it takes time to practice your cat craft. So I would say, you know, consistency and keep pivoting, right? Consistency, because if I had never created 300 videos, I would never know what I had known today. And if I had given up before I had that one viral video, I never would probably be here, right? Sure. So you never know. You could just be one piece of content, one product, one day, one moment, one meeting, one anything away from being able to strike big. So don't give up, um, at least not too soon if you're not passionate about it. <laughs> and then, you know, number two is keep pivoting. Don't keep trying to do the same thing over and over again when it's not working. You have to try different strategies um, and, you know, use the data, right? Because I was using the data that Facebook and YouTube was giving me in order to pivot my strategy. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, number three is I would say, like, just keep going. Was there anything particularly different about that video that went viral that you kind of looking back was like, okay, like this is the reason why. So as your last video, did you decide consciously to try out a different strategy that you can reflect back and say, okay, at least I gave it my all. Was there something different about it? Yeah, I totally get what works now and what goes into a viral video. So yeah. looking back now, I understand, you know, first off, it spoke to a very specific community and in content creation, especially in the beginning when you're trying to build out a career for yourself, focus on one niche. Ironically enough, this video was about how hard it is to be a housewife. <laughs> and a husband not appreciating her. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know it sounds like so strange, right? Like it doesn't sound like content that may come from my, like my own life experience. Um, but, you know, imagine how big of a community that is of stay at home moms that don't feel appreciated. And their work is so difficult in raising children and taking care of a household, but they often don't get appreciated. So, Ironically enough, that ended up being my first community. So I would say focus on a niche. You can't cater to everybody, at least not in the not in the world, you know. Um, so whether that's the business community or a specific audience demographic, um, for me it was a stay-at-home moms. Number two is you got to get people interested right away. Um, mm. And with this video, it started off with the husband coming home and basically not wanting to eat the dinner his wife prepared for him because it was the same thing that he had eaten earlier in the week. And he was so disappointed with how dirty the house was that he started just verbally abusing her. And so right from the beginning, that captures your interest. Um, also, you know, content that stems from like real life experience, you really want to be relatable. Like I, I have so many comments from people that say that this video reminds me of this. It reminds me of when I grew up. It reminds me of my mom. It reminds me of my last relationship. Create stuff that's relatable for your audience. 
Um, and then also I would say have an emotional connection, you know, that definitely helps. Um, the number one comment that I get is that your video made me cry. If you can move people emotionally, they'll always remember your piece of content. And there's many ways to be successful, you know, uh, for content creation. Mine happens to be emotions, like relatable emotional content with good values. That's kind of my formula for success. But I see lots of content creators that, you know, create content about cars or comedy or pranks um, or inspiration. You know, those are probably the most successful categories that I see on Facebook. Um, and so there's no one way to do it, but all of them do start by capturing your interest in the first few seconds. So I would say that's super powerful and the thumbnails and titles you use for your content matters mm. a lot too. And I hate to throw that in there because I feel like that should be a minor thing, but in a world of like so many content creators, especially on YouTube, having great thumbnails and titles is almost like it's the window display in your store if you were inside of a shopping mall That's and you've got analogy. customers that are walking you know, past all these stores, what's gonna make them stop and go inside yours or watch your piece of content? All they can see is the thumbnail and title in the beginning, so I would spend extra time on perfecting that. Yeah, and I appreciate that tactical advice. Like it's those small little tactical things that can really accumulate into into big results. And and for for people that don't know, I think we talked about this off air, but you write all of your content, and I know you do just based on how vividly you remember that video that just went viral. Like every specific detail of it, uh, it's it's very impressive. You know what you're what you're doing in terms of being able to scale that out as well. Um, so I, I think this, the lesson that I learned there is that. Be, besides even having the right strategy, having that level of persistence and consistency of pushing out that content is equally as important because you have the right strategy, but it wasn't until you were able to consistently put out that information and, and that content uh, for, for that to go really pick it up into, into, into virality, into where you are today, right? I, I cannot downplay how powerful of a statement that you just made is because just because just because you create this amazing product that you know is perfect doesn't mean the world is going to know it doesn't mm. mean that they're going to recognize you for that. And, you know, I remember I think this goes back to um, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, uh, another great book that I read. But it talks about how there was this author who wrote a book and put his heart and soul into this book. Um, he tried to pitch it to all these different publishers. No one picked it up. No one thought it was a good book. He was so sad because he put everything on the line that he ended up committing suicide and, yeah, and ending his life. And his mom was so devastated. She decides that she wants to try to carry his legacy on. She takes that book, doesn't give up, keeps shopping it to publishers. Eventually, one picks it up, and it becomes one of the world's best-selling books of all time. Here's the crazy part. It was the same book. The book <laughs> didn't change. He knew. The author knew it was amazing, this amazing piece of work. The world didn't know. And they didn't know till years later. And that happens to a lot of artists. 
you know, like you have so many painters that make these amazing works and it's not until they pass on till centuries later, decades later, years later, that people are just like, oh my God, this is a work of art, right? Mm. So if you and your heart know that you're creating an awesome product, don't get discouraged just because the world doesn't recognize that right away. They will catch on eventually, but you have to stay true to your craft and keep doing what you're doing um, and eventually over time, if what you're doing is that special, it'll get out there. And if I was to show you a graph of my YouTube, you would laugh <laughs> because in 2019, that's when I started having my first like big success with Facebook and I was getting like billions of views on Facebook on YouTube. It was totally dead. My vid, like I had no views at all. And my graph was literally a straight line. Like you would look at it and think it says zero views. And then in 2020, for whatever reason, YouTube decided to pick up my channel. I must have triggered something with their algorithms. And then all of a sudden they started pushing my content out. But the crazy part is, is it was the same videos. I didn't change anything. It yeah. was the same videos, but YouTube for some reason decided to start promoting it. So you never know when something's gonna hit, and that's why I say consistency and not giving up too soon is super important, especially if you find something that you're really passionate about. Yeah, that's that's very powerful. I, th I think like the alchemist, even the the sapiens, which I'm sure a yes, lot of listeners alchemist. Alchemist as well. It wasn't popular in the initial days, right? It sold two copies their first year. It's one of the yeah. best selling books of all time now. Insane. But the author never gave up. Yeah. Yeah. Alchemist powerful, is a man. great example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, with with the kind of going back to your strategy, and we'll, we'll close it off after this. Um, you know, you mentioned that one of the biggest impacts that have that you've made in terms of your content is shifting the strategy, right? You kind of went from 10% thinking to 10x thinking by saying, okay, let me just completely change the way I, I, I present my content from being, putting your, 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 just yourself out there and talking to the camera to animations, which was a 10x gain. And then you went from animations into creating, bringing on actors to storytell. And that was like a, a thousand percent, probably it was 10x game initially. And then in 10x and 10x again. Now, do you also, just to get your creative juices going, think about what your next 10x move is going to be in terms of going from your current strategy into this new, new strategy? Because it seems like you didn't make that, like, I'm sure you did in terms of the internal things, but do you ever think about that 10x strategy shift in terms of your content? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it really depends on your stage of business, but just how my mind is programmed. I'm always like, what's next? How can For I sure. make this even bigger? How can I scale yeah. this up? Um, and what I would encourage, you know, anyone out there to do is that um, don't test the waters with both feet first, <laughs> like test it with one foot. And so what I do is anytime I have a new idea, I look at it as how can I spend the least amount of resources as possible and be as quick as possible to be able to test how that new idea will do before I really start shifting my strategy to go all in? I'll give you an example. So recently, I thought that international was going to be a massive opportunity. So I started recreating all my videos 
in Spanish, in Portuguese, in all these other languages, right? Uh, in Arabic, in Hindi, um, in Tagalog. I think I started with five languages. I plan to go to 15 languages. It took me so long to get translators and dubbers and people to do the subtitles. And then I hired, had to hire video editors that spoke every language. I hired community associates that could monitor all these pages for me. I spent a lot of time and resources in, in testing out international and then only realized that it didn't take off nearly as big as I thought. So in hindsight, why did I start with five languages? I should have started with one, right? Like that was the minimal viable product, right? Put out a minimal viable product to be able to gather data and know if it's the right decision or not. So in hindsight, I should have started with one language because then I would have been I wouldn't have invested as much, you know, into uh, into this opportunity only to see that it's not the best use of my time. In parallel though, I was also testing other strategies. I tested repurposing my old content by putting them into compilations. Do you know how long it takes me to do a compilation of a video? So it's past content in a mashup series. Um, And I'll say advice every 20-year-old needs to know. And it'll be like four videos of mine that pertain to 20-year-olds. In total, it takes about one hour of time to do a mashup between all of my team and everything. None of my personal time. Mm. And it turned out to be a massive success. And now that I've been doing these mashups, my content's growing even faster with almost no time invested into it, right? So I'm just trying to paint an example of when you're trying to pursue new opportunities, don't jump in with both feet. Try to test, always be testing, always be testing multiple different opportunities and then figure out what gives you the highest amount of return for the least amount of your effort. Um, And it might not be what you expect it to be, sort of like how Mm -hmm. I learned on the whole international and mashup series. So yeah, for me, I'm at the stage now where luckily, you know, in in business terms, I consider to have what you call product market fit. It's where I'm putting out a product that the market loves, right? The audience loves it. All the videos are doing well. Once you get to that stage, you can shift a little bit more of your attention towards how can you scale that up versus how do you try so many new things? I'm not saying ever stop trying new things. Always keep trying new things. But once you get to a point of you've created something that's really resonating, it's more so how can you scale that up? That's what I'm thinking about. So my goal right now is I put out four new videos a week right now. My goal is how can I put out seven? And Mm. once I'm able to accomplish that, then it can be, you know, how do I go towards more long form content or more short form towards for the TikTok generation and, you know, like all these other audiences and platforms. That's where my mind usually is. Man, this is uh, such, such a powerful conversation. There's so many lessons that I took away, especially from the personal experiences that you've had, the top three for me. And I encourage everyone to share what their lessons are or at least think about it out loud in terms of really reflecting back on the conversation. For me, the top one, take full responsibility. Let that be the foundation in terms of how you live your life, 
how you make decisions. Second one is test like a madman and mad scientist and always be <laughs> looking for the next 10x opportunity, especially in the beginning. And then number three for me was consistency because even with the right strategy, it might just be putting in the reputation and, and really going for the mile, full mile to be able to see and ramp up the results that you have. Dar, this was such an amazing interview. I, I really, really appreciate your time, the tactics and the story and how honest you were and how authentic your story was, uh, where can people learn more about you? Where can people discover the videos that you have? I'm sure it's not very hard to find given how much <laughs> you have. Probably a lot of people already know about it, but just in case for the one person that don't know, where can people yeah, find sure. you? <laughs> yeah, you can just search my name, Dar Man. That's D-H. The H is silence, A-R, and then man has two N's, M-A-N-N. Oh man, I'm envious. I have Sean Kim, so I'm competing with like 10 other Sean Kims just on Google, you know? <laughs> Probably not a lot of darn mans, you know? <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, you're muted right now, by the way. Oh, okay. I know. Even before this podcast, I was like, oh, let me find out more information about him. So I looked up Sean. <laughs> it's like it's 10,000 other Sean Kims, but yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dar, I, I really appreciate your time, man. This has uh, been such an amazing conversation. Um, and, uh, and, and everyone, thank you so much for, for listening. Uh, is there any other, any actionable or, or one, one message you want to share Dar before we take off? <laughs> well, I, you know, our slogan for the creating our content is we're not just telling stories, we're changing lives. And so I highly, um, you know, just my advice would be anything you do, try to look for some way of giving back and creating some sort of impact because that's the greatest feeling of all. Success is great, making money is great, but being able to help people and give back and make a difference in this world is, I would say, the greatest feeling of all. I love it. Powerful message. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll awesome. see you next week. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.